0: Welcome to this week's sermon audio from Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series Romans, the Gospel for Sinners. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton.
1: Romans chapter 16, verses 17 through 20. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery They deceive the hearts of the naive, for your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good, and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to him dependently in prayer. Blessed Lord, you caused all Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant us then to hear them, to read them, to mark them, to learn them, and to inwardly digest them that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen in concluding his epistle to the romans with specific by name greetings see also the passage preceding this one right by name greetings we might expect paul to carry such greetings well all the way to the conclusion of his letter he doesn't paul as i have argued before paul is a pastor at heart, concerned not only with commendation and edification, but also preservation, and in this case, protection. So he interrupts the flow of his greetings. In fact, if I was to read all of this passage together, you would see that he gives all of these greetings, then inserts this caution and declaration, and then he adds... Additional greetings coming from him and his uh, beloved back to the church. But here, the pastor has concerns. And so he interrupts this flow with his greetings. What better way to say adieu? Of course, this should not surprise us from our study of Romans. Throughout his epistle, Paul has woven practical concerns... But here, he seems to convey a concern of ongoing susceptibility. He seems to be concerned about a vulnerability of the people of God. But this is nothing new. And nothing old. Think with me. Think with me all the way back to the garden. It was the sinless yet naive That Lucifer said, did not God actually say? It was to the sinless yet naive that the serpent said, you will not surely die. It's the fallen angel of light who works so well his wicked ways as false illumination. And what began in the garden, that dirty old snake, he carries on to the people of God, even to this very day. To the naive in Jeremiah's day, for example, God warned of Satan's strategy. And here's what God warned. He said, and this is really almost unbelievable. Listen closely to this. God said in Jeremiah's day, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. That's that's frightening, isn't it? The day and age in which Jeremiah lived. But our Lord Jesus also... Cautioned against being naive. Jesus said, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. And then, cautioning us, following his disciples, about being naive, then Jesus said this warning Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. And so summarizing what Jeremiah said, summarizing what Jesus said, and considering our passage today, we may conclude that division and deception are observable tools of the devil which may be identified by the discerning. In other words, I'll put it this way, in the words of Jesus, beware the wolves. Beware the wolves. If Jesus said that we will be able to identify the ravenous wolves by their fruits, what are some of the characteristics of these fruits? If we can identify these false prophets, these false teachers, these ravenous wolves, if we can identify them by their fruits, what are some of the characteristics of these fruits? This is something we should know, isn't it? But I want to give you four words or four phrases for you to remember. They all start with C. False teachers cause disunity. False teachers cause disunity. False teachers create disunity. Obstacles. They create obstacles. False teachers crave pleasure. They crave pleasure. And false teachers communicate deceptively. They communicate deceptively. So they cause disunity. They create obstacles. They crave pleasure. They communicate deceptively. Now, think about these four with me. Paul has had much to say in this latter part of his epistle to the Romans about guarding against disunity in the church. And if you have been here, if you've been keeping up with the sermons, you know that Paul has made a point. And you might think, well, surely he's made his point by now. But now he is introducing this disunity in the context of false teachers and false Doctrine and false teaching. And here, he uses a word that is rarely used in the New Testament. It's translated in the ESV as division. I think it is better translated dissension. Dissensions. Disagreements leading to discord. Dissensions mean disagreements leading to discord. And one of the best ways for Satan... To cause disunity in the church is to breed disagreements, fanning the flame of discord in his church. Now, Paul probably means that such disagreements come from someone who is undermining doctrinal integrity, someone who is creating obstacles. To the truth of God's word. And this may come through. Or may come through just straightforwardly. Contradicting true doctrine. But it may also come through something far more sinister. And that is advocating false doctrine. Peter called them destructive heresies. Paul warned Timothy of this very thing. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, Slander, evil, or rather evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Some of you have been in churches just like this. I'm thankful that I personally have not. But many of you have witnessed how Satan can creep in And create dissension. And there are these people that move in. And they just thrive on the controversy. On the quarrels. For this reason, among others, our forefathers set down doctrinal standards in creeds and confessions and in catechisms. And think about this. We as Presbyterians, we have inherited a treasure in the Westminster Confession and Catechisms. And one of the main uses, one of the main uses among many, I might add, one of the main uses of our faithful confession is to help protect us from false teachers. Now, I'm going to let you in on a secret. You're going to want to lean in, because this is just between you and me. A people watching the live stream and video later. But just between us, lean in. Here's my secret. One of the things as a pastor that I am often asked is, so John, what do you think about, insert doctrine? What do you think about a certain doctrine? Here's the secret. 95% of the time, I just paraphrase the Westminster Confession. Because it's so good. And it's right. And it's true. Because we and our forefathers, the ancestors who have gone before us, studied God's Word. And we have studied God's Word. And we have said, that's it. That's what we believe. We believe what is written there. And so I don't have to give my opinion on a doctrinal statement because we hold to a doctrinal integrity that goes back hundreds of years that is based on God's timeless Word. So that's my secret. My point is this. We do well to know our doctrinal standards. It helps keep us from error. The third characteristic that Paul brings up in our passage, can be observed. It can be observed by our eyes. And that is that false teachers crave pleasure, serving not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. In fact, the the Greek word there is, and I really wish the ASV had just kept it, the Greek word there is their own bellies. They crave that. Their appetite is for their own bellies, which is a metaphor for what? Their sensual delights. Jude described them as those who pervert the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ into sensuality. When you see someone, heads up, when you see someone justify indulging their flesh, claiming the liberty of the gospel, beware. When you encounter someone encouraging you to do the same, you're in the presence of a false teacher. For the gospel liberty that you and I enjoy, the liberty that you and I enjoy in Christ, leads not to pleasing our sensual appetites, but to keeping our Savior's commands. That's why the psalmist could cry out, Oh, how I love your law. No one can say that who is seeking to please their own sinful appetites. And so beware of him who craves to fulfill his or her sensual appetites. The fourth characteristic that Paul gives us can be heard. The one before can be observed. This one can be heard. False teachers communicate deceptively by smooth talk And flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Although we live in an age of vacillating semantics, words and their meaning, actually, words still mean something. They still matter, and doesn't the devil know it? As he knows the ways of the world, he surrounds us. He surrounds us with deceiving voices, leading even to the discerning ear to grow numb because there's so much deception out there. We can just get tired of the noise and grow naive. Our politicians lie. Our media distorts. Even our advertising resorts to means of deception. And lying, lying is so pervasive in our culture that we have grown accustomed to it. And now, I can't even believe my ears when I hear that there are Christians who even justify it. Well, you know, this is just politics. (laughs) No, I don't know. I really believe that there is truth. And there is falsehood. And I'm not okay with telling lies. Hmm, and you're not either. But, But when a false teacher slips into the church we may not even recognize him. We may not even know that she is a false teacher because we are so used to the rhetoric of deception. He or she speaks our language, so to speak, telling us what we want to hear, trying trying to teach us even what to think with our minds. Avoiding the substance of the truth He appeals, that is the false teacher, he appeals to our our vanity. Flattering us with so-called words of encouragement. That's a churchy term. It's the best one I could think of for something that happens in the church. Well, you know, he's just encouraging you. Flattering you, lying to you. You should be encouraged. Oh, you should run for the hills, right? Because here's what Paul warned Timothy. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Relevant in the first century. Relevant before the first century. Relevant today. Right? But as I'm looking at this passage, and you may be wondering the same, I wonder, who are these people? Who are those who are so susceptible to deceit? Well, they're the vulnerable. They're the gullible. Paul calls them the naive. The naive. The fact is, is that you and I, all of us, have been naive from time to time. Maybe even today. And it could be due to a lack of age. It could be due to a lack of experience. But more often than not, I believe that it is due to a lack of self-knowledge or a lack of self-awareness. The naive don't know it. (laughs) And it should not surprise us then that when Calvin begins his institutes, that magisterial work of Protestant doctrine, when Calvin begins his institutes, in the very first paragraph, here's how he introduces it. He says, The purpose, or rather, he says, The whole sum of our wisdom, wisdom that is, which deserves to be called true and assured, broadly consists of two parts, knowledge of God and knowledge of God. Of ourselves. And then Calvin goes on, in that same paragraph, he goes on to say, the purpose of knowing ourselves is to show us, and you're going to want to buckle your seatbelts. Get ready. The purpose of knowing ourselves is to show our weakness, misery, vanity, and vileness, to fill us with despair, distrust, And hatred of ourselves. And then. To kindle in us the desire to seek God. For in him is found all that is good. And of which we ourselves are empty and deprived. Boom. That's how he begins the institutes. And the reason he does. Is because if you get that wrong. You won't understand the rest of Christian doctrine if you sit here today confident that you are not susceptible to desires of your flesh or the ploy of him who disguises himself as an angel of light, then beware. Many woes await you, including being deceived. But if you know your naivety, as I explain it here, if you know what you are susceptible to, knowing that Satan Seeks to lead, lead, as Jesus puts it, Satan seeks to lead even the elect astray, if that were possible. Which it's not. But that's how cunning that snake is. If you understand this, then you know to humble yourself and look to the Lord's provision. In our passage here, Paul lists no false teacher. Look at it again if you need to. 17 through 20. No names are mentioned. And I find this interesting because in the day and age in which we live, you know, I'm sure there's some website out there. You know, false teachers of our day. Scroll down. Ooh. Ooh. Right? Paul doesn't do that. He doesn't list one name. And I realize that's an argument from silence, but here's the reason why I find that intriguing. A list would have been so much easier for the naive and for the gullible, but it wouldn't teach the church the discernment necessary to spot wolves when they seek to harm the flock. He's teaching us. And so Paul teaches us how to identify false teachers. He teaches us how to identify False teaching. Paul tells us in this passage to watch out. It's one of two things that he's going to tell us about how, in, in terms of how we are to identify them, we are to watch out. And that watching out means that we know they exist. False teachers and false teaching exist. And we also know, according to the first chapter of Jude, that these false teachers seek to creep into the church unawares. So we know they exist, we watch out for them, or, and I love the way that he puts it, the Puritan Matthew Henry says succinctly, a danger half discovered, or rather, a danger discovered is half prevented. A danger discovered is half prevented. And so we keep watch, or we watch out. Now, if this is true, and borrowing from Matthew Henry, then if that's the first half of prevention, what's the second half? Well, the second half, Paul says, is avoid them. You see that in the passage. It's actually an imperative, it's a command avoid them. The present tense of a void also implies an ongoing diligence. It's not as if we as a church say, well, thank goodness we haven't run into any false teachers. Uh, Well, hopefully, maybe like Hezekiah, we could just say, well, hopefully it won't happen in my lifetime. Right? No, no, it's an ongoing diligence. Once discovered, this also doesn't mean that we ignore them. Well, we found the false teacher... Right? It doesn't mean ignore them as if they'll go away. No, to avoid the false teachers means something stronger. In fact, uh, Greek scholars say that it's probably much closer to our expression of shunning them. It's not just that you sort of play keep away or you ignore them. It is in a sense a, a shunning. Have nothing to do with them. Turn away from them. This includes not only false teachers in the flesh, but false teachings through various media means. So I want to break this down in as deep a theology as I can convey to you on a Sunday morning. Be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little ears what you hear. Be careful little mind. What you think. For the Father up above. Is looking down in love. So be careful. What you see. Hear. And think. But turning away. From a false teacher. Is not the complete admonition. I cannot end the sermon here. In fact I must not. For turning away. From something. Means turning to. Something else. Else, And in this case, it's not something else. It is someone. The false teacher is identified, as Paul puts it here, as one who does not serve our Lord Christ. But we do. We do. The Christian serves our Lord Christ. The false teacher then, we are to... Part of identification is part of watching and avoiding means to turn not only away from the false teacher and the false teaching, but to turn to Christ as He is our Lord and Savior, as He is the one who delivered us from the domain of darkness, and He is the one who will deliver us from false teachings. It's not merely a point of closing our eyes, it is opening our eyes and looking to Christ in whom We trust, and so we trust our Deliverer. What is referred to theologically as the Proto-Evangelium or the first gospel is found back in the garden that I referred to earlier. In fact, you you may remember that after Adam and Eve had fallen in sin and as God is pronouncing the curses, there's a specific curse given upon the serpent. Quote, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. As Satan was in the form of a serpent, his doom was pronounced in the curse. And his punishment is sure, not by the hand of Adam in that moment, but by the second Adam, the offspring of, which is translated literally in Hebrew, the seed. The seed of the woman. Hmm. Our deliverer was born of a virgin at the proper time. Born to save his people, born to conquer our foe. And so he did. And he did in his death. And he did in his resurrection that we might have life through faith in him. And that we might have victory over that old snake in the grass. Yet, while Satan has been defeated, and while he is awaiting his punishment, he seeks to tear down what he can. He seeks to lead astray whom he will. And we see this in the world. And sadly... As Jesus told us, sometimes we see it in the church. But we must never let this liability. We must never let this liability lead us to despair. We are not to be a people, oh, there's false teachers out there. They might come into this sweet little church in Fort Smith. Oh, I'm so fearful. Not the right response. The right response Points us to Christ. Our deliverer. The source of your peace. Today. And for eternity. The source of your peace. Is the God of peace. And he has said. I will crush Satan. Under your feet. So the church militant. The church militant fights the good fight. Not out of the fear of loss, but because we have the victory. The church militant does not fight because we fear losing. For our deliverer has indeed already won the battle. As we sang earlier, listen closely to these words. We sang them, but I want to read them to you. This is so, so good. In the hymn, Our Church is One Foundation, the hymn writer writes, Though with a scornful wonder, men see her sore oppressed, by schisms rent asunder, by heresies distressed, yet saints their watch are keeping, their cry goes up, how long? And soon the night of weeping shall be the morn of song. The church shall never perish. Her dear Lord to defend, to guide, sustain, and cherish is with her to the end. Though there be those that hate her and false sons in her pale, against or foe or traitor, she ever shall prevail. Ooh. Almost need to sing it again, don't we? <laughs> The victorious Christian life is not a life of fear. And it's not a life of naivety, gullibility either. Through His Spirit, we live in obedience to God. Watching out for false teachers. Rooted, rooted in the truth Himself. Living wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. For that which is good is of God, not evil. And that which is good we know and we receive by grace. And the grace we enjoy has been given to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, may we not be a naive people. May we indeed keep watch may we indeed avoid the false teaching and false teachers of this age. But, oh, dear God, teach us to look to our Savior. Teach us to preach the gospel of God's grace to ourselves. Teach us to look to our provision. For there is nothing that this world or the ruler of this world can do against us that is outside of your sovereign will and command. And so we trust you and we rejoice in the grace that you have given us in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.